0: Today is June 9th. I'm Ryan Miller, Crops Extension Educator. Earlier this morning we recorded our 8th episode of the Strategic Farming Field Notes program. Strategic Farming Field Notes is a weekly program addressing current crop production topics. A live webinar is hosted at 7.30am on Wednesdays throughout the cropping season. During the live webinar, participants can join the discussion and get questions answered. An audio recording of the live program is released following the webinar via podcast platforms. Today's webinar was moderated by Jared Goplin and Dave Nicolai. On the webinar were guests, Tom Peters, extension agronomist specializing in sugar beets and weed science at the North Dakota State University and University of Minnesota, and Devlin Serangi, extension weed scientist with the Department of Agronomy and Plant Genetics at the University of Minnesota in St. Paul. Also joining on the program was Joachim Wiersma, extension small grain specialist stationed at the Northwest Research and Outreach Center. The guests and moderators discuss the hot and dry conditions as they pertain to weed management and small grains production. Thanks, and remember to tune in weekly for a discussion on the current crop situation as well as crop and pest management topics.
1: We want to welcome today's guests, uh, Drs. Uh, Devlin Serengi from the University of Minnesota Extension uh, and a Weed Scientist uh, Extension Specialist. Actually, also with him is Dr. Tom Peters. Uh, Tom is, uh, has a joint appointment at North Dakota State University and University of Minnesota Minnesota uh, Extension. He's a sugar beet uh, weed specialist. And then finally, uh, Dr. Joachim Wurzma, uh, our small grain specialist, will give us a good update on uh, small grain management as well. So with that, I'm going to turn the program over to uh, Jared Goplin. So Jared, take it away.
2: Yeah, thanks, Dave. And good morning, everyone. Uh, we definitely would like to extend a warm welcome to our speakers today. Uh, folks do have questions. Let us know. That's what we're here to do is answer any of those questions and uh, to kick us off, I guess, for the, the day, I think we'll start on the topic of weed management because, uh, you know, with these hot dry conditions, uh, you know, we've been well into the 90s, if not the 100 degree mark for a number of days now with the forecast that uh, seems like these this weather pattern is going to hold up for a while. There has been some, obviously, relief with some rain showers in some areas, but uh, a lot of times those are are quite localized and maybe not very widespread. So um, there is some chances, I guess, going into the next few days and into the weekend, but just knowing that a lot of folks are out there now or will be this week, you know, doing some post-emergence weed control uh, applications, I guess I'd I'd like to start there um, with Tom and Deblin, and then we'll move over to, to Yoakum. Folks have small grain questions as well. But, you know, Tom, I guess we'll start with you. You know, we talked a little bit before the call on, on weeds being patchy, maybe weed emergence being down, you know, how has this all interplayed with pre-emergence products that might've been out there and, you know, where should we be going with post-emergence products? It's kind of been a weird year. So you want to make some comments on what your thoughts are?
3: I would. Thank you, Jared. Um, And thanks for inviting me to today's meeting. I think this is a very timely and important conversation. So, dare I say, Jared, there might be fewer weeds this year than other years. So, somebody's saying, wait a second, not on my farm. I have just as many weeds as as ever. Um, But I'm seeing fewer weeds, especially small seeded broadleaves in my experiments. The other thing that's different for me is we're seeing different weeds. So, I've been working at a location that I'll call Hickson. And I've never seen wild buckwheat before at Hickson, but this year we do. So is that related to our environmental pattern? I think it probably is. I have another uh, location in Renville County that's full of velvet leaf. It's supposed to be a water hemp site and it's full of velvet leaf. So those are a couple of examples about how I think the weeds are, are different in, a, in an environmental year. So I think for our, our producers that are online, Jared, scouting is always important, but it's especially important this year to know exactly what's growing and what sizes they are. I think uh, you mentioned the patchy nature, so it doesn't mean the edge of the field. You have to walk the field to make sure you're not surprised by anything. So it's a different management strategy this year than maybe some of the other years.
2: I would agree, Tom. You know, just some of the observations in my neck of the woods here in Western Minnesota is, you know, we were dry early. Prees went on to dry soil. And then we got about an inch or so of rain in many areas. And it surprisingly has provided pretty good weed control. There were some some escapes early, especially in those patches where maybe you had weed escapes in the last few years and the seed bank was really heavy or in, in some of the wetter areas. But surprisingly, that those pre's, um, you know, just based on some of the injury on soybeans, you know, some of that rainfall activity, I think, splashed some products that were laying on that soil surface, at least the ones that didn't blow away uh, onto those, those leaves. And, and I think we might have seen a little bit more sort of reach back, if you want to call it that, than than normal, just based on how the conditions sort of went. So it has been a very interesting year from that perspective.
3: And I've been pleasantly impressed or surprised with my sugar beet um, soil residual herbicides as well, Jared. There's places where we've had little to no rain at all, but there is some activity. Surprisingly, there is some activity from our soil applied herbicides. Um, one of them in particular called Nortron or Ethafumazate does have some Um, what you just called reach back activity. So I think some of the later rains, even the showers that maybe didn't deliver a lot of rain have um, at least partially activated or incorporated herbicide into the soil. So we're seeing some of that benefit.
2: So I guess Devlin, we'll maybe move in uh, into you and talking with you a little bit here on, you know, the question now is folks know it's about time to be making applications but there might not be as many weeds as they're used to part of that is we planted early. So we expected to have, have to spray a little bit earlier, especially with mm. the lack of activation, but some of that rainfall might've activated the pre's later. So in essence, some of the pre's with that later rainfall may have become more of a layered or lay by type application uh, just based on the timing of that activation. So you have any kind of words of wisdom in terms or recommendations in terms of how to handle, you know, weed control going forward you know, there's maybe not a ton of weeds in some of these fields. We're dry. You know, how should we approach that? Should we wait on applications? Should we, you know, plan them earlier with some residual products or um, kind of what are your thoughts on where we should go from here, I guess, uh, in terms of weed control?
4: Well, so again, thank you for inviting me today. So yeah, I mean, this is an interesting year and uh, I have seen one thing Like uh, whenever there is a little bit moisture, the weeds started emerging. And then when the soil is dry, they stopped emerging. So in one of my research plot in Renville County near Franklin, Minnesota, I have seen like um, lamb squatters, which is like 10 inch high, as well as like just coming up. So like in my research plot, what I concluded is Probably the prees didn't activate uh, initially that lambscotter came through and then it got some moisture. So it was uh, growing well. Then it stopped emerging due to the dry condition. Again, it got a little bit of rainfall. So the weed height is one of the like uh, critical measure for post-emergence application and it's a bit tricky because uh, you'll see probably 10% of your weeds are already five, six inch or maybe seven, eight inch tall. And some of them are coming back, coming up. So uh, it's a bit tricky. So when you should apply your post-emergence. So I would say like uh, definitely go with uh, average height, which is three to four inch. I mean, uh, don't let those... uh, early emerger uh, past like six seven inch because then you will have less control on on them because we always talk about less than four inch high weeds to control so um i agree with you some of the pre's worked uh, late a little bit that's why it's holding up the weed emergence but I think now it is the time for post-emergence application because uh, whatever the field I have scouted last couple days or weeks, I saw like weeds are um, close to three to four inch. And I believe this is the post-emergence timing. And uh, again, like you have opportunity for tank mixing, some of the um, uh, lay-by application for the pre-emergence herbicide, like Uh, You have uh, like Dual 2 or uh, Warrant, those you can tank mix, uh, which can uh, go like uh, V5 or R1 soybean. I mean, uh, those are are bringing some good opportunity for you to control, uh, I'm sorry, V3 for Dual and uh, R2 for Warrant. So I think those are bringing some good opportunity for um, weed control for longer term. But again, like don't let the early emerger pass the stage where uh, you have less control on them. And uh, in this dry condition, I would recommend using um, the recommended level dose of all the adjuvants like Um, your nitrogen fertilizer and then like EAN or AMS and then uh, COC or MSO. So follow the label and use those adjuvants because that will help to uh, absorb the herbicide inside the weeds and you can get better control for using these uh, adjuvants rather than not using them. Tom, you know,
1: we were talking earlier before we uh, got on the air here about um, some of those conditions in in Minnesota, some areas that didn't get rain. Now, you were fortunate you got a little bit of rain, but uh, in parts of uh, the Fargo area, but it was rather small, but in other areas they didn't. And we talk about these weeds and this dry condition and talk about cuticle maybe a little bit here with the folks and, and thickness. And as that cuticle builds up and my understanding that doesn't go away immediately just because you had a rain rain shower going through, how does that affect these weeds and particularly things that you've seen over the years, whether it's lambs quarters or other types of weeds?
3: Well, it's, it's, it's funny you bring that up, Dave, because, and I was going to comment with on, on what Devlin said about additives or adjuvants. And, you know, it seems like on the crops, they get more sensitive when it's hot and dry. We have to maybe optimize adjuvants to manage crop safety, especially with the contact herbicides, especially when it's very hot, over 85 degrees. But the weeds are on the other side of it for some reason. They get harder to kill. And I think you hit on one point of it. It's the cuticle. So um, well, there's a couple of things. So weeds have this dormancy response and they, are, are, are don't, they don't act um, or behave normally and their, their biosynthetic um, systems aren't running um, at full strength as they normally do, making them harder to, 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 to control. The cuticle. Um, over time, the cuticle is going to get thicker. Again, it's a defense mechanism that weeds have to conserve moisture. They don't want to be losing moisture. Well, what does that mean for uh, weed scientists? Um, It means that we've got to be able to get our herbicide through that cuticle. And that is not an easy challenge, especially with some of our um, water, um, loving herbicides like glyphosate. Um, the glyphosate products are very difficult to get through a normal cuticle. And, uh, when we have a thicker cuticle, it makes it even more difficult.
2: So Tom, along the same lines, we do have a question a little bit more to to get a little bit more specific in this conversation, you know, with, with Roundup or Extendamax or Liberty, um you know, with those products, those the, you know, do you have any tips on how to get them to work better in these these dry conditions? You know that article that we worked on uh, just kind of finished up last night with Joe Eichley, your colleague there at North Dakota. talked a little bit about you know, nozzle selection and and water use rates, especially when we're in dry conditions as well as the adjuvant side. What's the silver bullet?
3: <laughs> so I'm gonna start with a little story. So, one of my producers in the Benson area called and said that he's not uh, controlling lamb's quarters with uh, glyphosate products, and he was wondering if it could be uh, resistance. So here's the bottom line. I take the R word very seriously, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to investigate to make sure that we don't have resistance. But I'm guessing what we have is a, it's, it's a problem with glyphosate on, on controlling lamb scorters. And that's not unheard of. That happens. So a couple of things that I would recommend. So the first thing is, is there are a lot of glyphosate products, Jared. And don't assume they're all the same. So some of them have different. Um, loading. They're formulated with different active ingredient levels. So that means the rate is different. Make sure you're optimizing the rate for the glyphosate formulation you're using. Number two, these same products have different adjuvant loading. So I think we're used to PowerMax, which is fully loaded. Well, some of the other glyphosate products are not fully loaded, and I would consider adding additional um, active uh, adjuvant with those products. Quite frankly, I add extra adjuvant with, with even PowerMax, but with, certainly with some of the others, I would consider more adjuvant. Historically, the water volume and the droplet size question has been an, an interesting one. Um, I grew up and they talked about low rate technology. So use as low a, a water volume as, as possible. And I think now with some of the weeds, especially the sizes that Deblen mentioned, we've got to increase our water volumes to ensure we get good coverage on, on those weeds. I mentioned uh, architecture Um, I've seen some weeds that are droopy where they're they're laying down. And then some of them are like tulips where the leaves are, 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 you know, raising up or pinching up and think about trying to, to intercept, you know, for a droplet to land on those leaves. So how do we need to modify our, our applications in order to, hit these targets that are ever changing.
2: You know, one of the other things that we've, we've talked about in the last few days, especially with the dry weather, um, and of course, the on network has the, the Delta T uh, tool that, uh, you know, is, is some indication of, you know, eva- basically evaporation of those droplets. And, you know, I just planted a, a new lawn outside my house last week. And uh, with all this hot weather, I've had to run a sprinkler more than I'd like to. Some days when it's hot and windy, I swear none of the water is hitting the ground what is that like when we're spraying on some of these hot days? Of course, uh, you know, there were, were, a number of fields that were sprayed when it was really dry conditions. Um, you know, what's happening to those droplets when we're, when we're just so hot and dry.
3: Devlin, yeah. why don't you take a stab at that one? And then I'll add some thoughts as well.
4: Well, the, that's a good question. So sometime when you are using nozzle, which is creating very fine droplets in a hot and dry condition, it, it is quite possible that uh, droplets are not reaching to the canopy. It's probably evaporating right away or probably part of it is not reaching. So basically, your um, um, like herbicide application efficacy is probably 70% or 50%, uh, depending on the weather um, situation. So it's always a better idea to, uh, in hot and dry condition, use a little bit uh, coarser uh, droplets so that uh, it's heavy and it will reach to the plants uh, more effective efficiently than uh, your very fine droplets. And uh, anyhow, for uh, herbicide like Extendimax or uh, um, other like um, glyphosate, we can do that. But now, question comes for the contact herbicide like uh, Flexter uh, Liberty because we talk about coverage. And then if you um, uh, uh, increase your droplet size, then coverage could be an issue. So I think uh, one approach you could like one could take is increase the carrier volume. So um, rather than 15, probably go with 20 gallons per acre. Uh, That will probably give you uh, proper coverage and you can uh, increase the droplet size so um, it is not evaporating immediately. And then uh, adding some surfactant like uh, oil, like COC, uh, that will kind of hold your uh, herbicide on the plant surface for a little bit longer period of time uh, than uh, just the herbicide with water.
3: I have to reinforce everything that Deblin said. He's absolutely right. So these fines are evaporating. They're not even hitting the surface. They're evaporating before they get to the surface. And then the droplets that do reach the surface, you know, we need sufficient moisture to facilitate the absorption of the herbicide into the plant. And I think there are, you could make a case that the droplet is evaporating off the leaf before it can be taken up into the plant. Now I went to school with a professor named Dr. John Nalawaya. And Dr. Nalawaya had this pile idea where he said that instead of spreading out the droplet uh, across the leaf, maybe under these adverse conditions, it's better if it's in a pile where that droplet is, is uh, it doesn't evaporate so as, as quickly as under normal conditions or, or when it's spread out evenly over the leaf. And again, that would work for certain products, um, certainly the glyphosate products, um, but it doesn't work as well for maybe some of the others like the contact herbicides. So, so we mentioned it, we've both said it, I think really looking at modifying our adjuvant selection and characteristics of adjuvants is something that's really important. And I will tell you that the whole adjuvant area is very complicated. So don't be afraid of asking for some help if you have questions about adjuvants.
1: T- Tom, I just wanted to make one last comment here before we would bring in uh, uh, Yoka and that is, it's really important. You can't ov- overemphasize looking at those labels from the standpoint of their recommended nozzle and droplet situation. So, uh, and keep in mind, if you're running a flat fan, you know, at least 30% of those droplets are gonna come out really small to begin with no matter what. And so uh, you're at more of a risk in a flat fan situation than this evaporation, because uh, at least a, a, you know a third you know, they're going to be small to be begin with, and it doesn't take much at low humidities. So keep that in mind in coverage, but go back and look at those labels. Are you following the size of the droplet? If you get into the dicamba situation, extend uh, and so forth, you really got to follow uh, the labels with that particular droplet size, not only for control, but also, you know, drift and inversions and other things. And also um, add here- your
4: DRA and VRA stuff this year with max like, Reef reductant agent and uh, volatility-reductant agents. Right. Jared, I think,
1: do we need to switch over here? Do we have another guest?
2: Yeah, so Yochum, we have Dr. Yochum Wearsman, the small grain specialist on the line here. And of course the conversation has revolved around hot and dry, not exactly perfect small grain weather. So um, Yoakum, you know, in this neck of the woods, we're kind of in that flag leaf uh, boot stage, early heading uh, phase for the small grains at least the spring seeded, the winter cereals are a little bit further along, getting some really hot temperatures into the hundreds. Um, you know, a lot of times we'll kind of draw the line at that, what, 92, 93 degree mark where we start to get a little bit nervous. Um, so what are your thoughts on some of these hot, dry conditions and I guess outlook uh, in terms of the small grains in the state?
5: Yeah, well, we were doing really, really, really good when it came to small grains up to about a week ago and then mother nature decided to flip the switch and turn on the blast furnace up to basically i think yesterday it wasn't a complete disaster yet because our dew points you know the things that you talked about with why the spray droplets are not hitting the surface of the of the weeds is because the dew points are so low that any moisture evaporates almost immediately well, the, the advantage in this case for the small grains was that our nights were still relatively cool. And you know plants like us respirate and they do that continuously for 24 seven. And so lower nighttime temperatures really slow down respiration. Um, and so even if, if in, during a stretch of the day when the temperatures are exceeding 100 degrees across a very large swat, what happens is yeah during the daytime once you get above 92 degrees photosynthesis actually shuts down in c3 plants the the wheat goes on a weight loss program because it's still respirating during the day but it's only during that very short period it will try to cool itself and as long as it has toes in water it will that canopy will actually be a little bit cooler and so that whole day, you know, we now have light at, at, at five all the way till 10 o'clock at night. There's a very large portion of the day where photosynthesis actually is still occurring. If you then combine that with cooler nights, you actually maintain a fair amount of that photosynthate produced to go towards yield. It's just now that we, the dew points are going up that I really start worrying about the crop. The last night, uh, it thundered here pretty much all night. I think it the temperature never got below 75 degrees uh, here around Crookston last night because it was basically hot and muggy. And we were trying to get rain, but it's not coming down. Now the crop is really walking backwards.
2: Yeah, Yoakum, I was out in some fields uh, yesterday or day before. And, you know, for the most part, the soil moisture is still okay. It's still holding in there that the crop is able to cool itself, but there are pockets, especially where there's some compaction uh, in this neck of the woods that they're really starting to curl up. You know, those, those upper leaves are really starting to curl up, you know, during those hottest portions of the day, which probably indicates the water is, is getting a little bit more limiting at that point in time. You know, as we are nearing this reproductive phase, you know, what's what's the concern? Is there anything we can do? Um, unfortunately, I don't, I don't think there is any, any magic answer there, but, uh, you know, any concerns or thoughts as we enter into that reproductive phase in terms of any sterility type issues that might lead to further, further issues later down the road?
5: Well, well, first of all, we have to keep all our fingers and toes crossed. I think we're, we're reaching that point for not just wheat, uh, but all the crops, uh, you know, evapotranspiration, the water usage goes up almost exponentially as you get into grain fill, as plants get bigger. Uh, so far m- across most of Minnesota, the crop has had its toes still in water. Uh, wheat at the five leaf stage, for instance, only uses a maybe even at 90 degree airtime temperatures, probably only about 1,500 of precip per day, uh, by the time you get to grain fill, that nearly doubles under these temperatures. So we need rain. So keep your fingers and toes all crossed. That would be the greatest thing we can get. Um, as far as yield potential, because that's what really what we're talking about, small grains have a lot of uh, plasticity in its development. And as long as we don't lose the pa- canopy completely and And so we might lose some tillers in the four to five leaf stage right now in the later crop. The heads are formed uh, right after jointing. Uh, The later crop is going to have smaller heads. Um, I talked to a winter wheat producer in Southern Min and he said he's never seen heads this large on his winter wheat, which makes perfect sense because those were initiated a month ago. And he said he has 18, 19 or 20 spikelets per head. And he goes, well, what is happening now? I said, well, what will happen is, is the third part of that plasticity, if the conditions are still favorable, it will try to make three, four kernels per spikelet. Okay, if it gets really hot and dry and water becomes limiting, it will only maybe put two on. But if the conditions during grain fill, and that's really the key point. That plasticity allows, if the conditions during grainful are favorable for yield and we still have a canopy, it will make bigger kernels. It will make kernels that go from 16,000 per pound to down to 12,000 or 11,000 per pound. And so I'm still keeping the glass half full rather than half empty because I can't forecast uh, that far ahead uh, the winter wheat that is in grain field right now was good, like I said, up to just now. It's just now that those nighttime temperatures are creeping up and the dew points are creeping up that I get worried. And for the later seeded crop, let's keep our fingers and toes crossed because that's really the only thing we can do.
2: So in terms of disease management, of course, we do have our scouts uh, running throughout the state now. For the most things, for the most part, things have been really quiet. I think there's been a lot of board scouts out there, not finding a whole heck of a lot aside from some aphids. But um, you know, as we move into this flowering period, you know, what's your outlook or recommendations in terms of scab management? Um, obviously, the temperatures are warm. If we have dew points that are creeping up, you know, is it a situation we're going to, to still you know need fungicides, um, even if into the into the moderately or more resistant varieties? Or what's your recommendation, I guess, at this point, as folks in the southern part of the state move into that decision, decision-making time for, for scab ap- applications?
5: Well, indeed, the scouts are very bored when it comes to fungal diseases. There's not much going on. We had some reports last week of one field of leaf rust. Uh, what they're finding is, uh, indeed, crop injury from herbicides. That kind of looks almost like, in some cases, fungal diseases. I had a very... You now these big transitions in temperature elicit stress responses from the crop. And in, some, in one case, it really looked like septoria. It wasn't, but it really looked. And we had to actually play them out to make sure that it wasn't uh, septoria. And so they're, they're coming with interesting uh, and quite unexpected uh, kind of visual uh, damage. And in most cases, we can probably pin it on on herbicides. So it is quiet out there for diseases because you need three things for fungal diseases to start. You have to have a susceptible host, you have to have the pathogen present, and then you have to have the right weather. Well, the very low dew points pretty much mean up to this point, we haven't had to leave wetness periods. There is no dew in that canopy in the morning and overnight. That greatly reduces the risk of infections. And so the decisions for fungicides have indeed become very difficult. And it really comes down to a case by case basis. And it it depends indeed on the local situation, the variety. And so I'll give you an example. Um, I work with a rye grower uh, who's in the feed, in the food market, who has a couple fields of rye around uh, Southeast Minnesota, in Southeast Minnesota. And he's been one of the lucky ones to receive adequate precip. He has very fertile soils, high organic matter, and the fields are all very well protected. Okay, he's in a situation that he does get dues in the morning. And so we pulled the trigger, even though the risk models for the whole region basically said there was no risk. I talked to a barley producer um, yesterday in Southern Min. And he has, uh, he's grown pinnacle, which is known to be very susceptible to net blots. And in that situation too, in one of his fields, the net blots had reached the middle of the canopy. So despite the very dry conditions and relatively low risk for fusarium head blight, we decided that it, in that case, that field, you needed to use a fungicide because I, the net blots will continue once it's established. It will slow down but it doesn't stop once it's established in that canopy. And so it's a very case by case decision. There is no blanket recommendation right now uh, because the maps in in many ways are somewhat misleading. You really have to look at the microclimate of individual fields and and the situation and the combination with variety. And so call me, that's the only thing I can tell you, call me because I can't give you a blanket recommendation.
1: I, I think that's that's good recommendation, um, Jared. You know, at the risk of going a tiny bit over here, we do have a question that came in. Uh, maybe throw back to Devlin and, and and Tom here as we finish out. Uh, this came from one uh, individual, and he asks or, or she asks: Does spraying during a cooler part of the day, in other words, in the morning, provide for better weed control when crops and weeds are drought stressed? So it's kind of a toss up question for both of you
3: and I'll go second.
4: Okay. Yeah, I mean, sometime it's uh, a little bit tricky, but uh, yeah, you may get a little bit better control of weeds uh, in the early morning, be- I mean, morning time, because um, because the uh, plants are kind of recovering from previous days, heat stress, and plant- plants are a little relaxed, I would say, and Uh, The leaves might not be rolled, especially for corn, like you'll see like due to drought stress, leaves are rolled in the middle of the day and soybean leaves are drooping and weeds are doing the same for the grass and uh, broadleaf weeds. So in the morning time, things might be a little better and if you spray, you may get better uh, coverage of herbicide and better activity. But at the same time, you have to think about few other factors. So number one, if there is not enough light present, like you are spraying at, at sunrise or even before sunrise, then the problem is um, the plants are not uh, uh, doing the photosynthesis uh, actively and that may reduce your herbicide activity. And second thing is uh, some herbicides like Extenimax uh, and um, and even other herbicides, there is a potential chance for uh, temperature inversion uh, early in the morning before sunrise. And then uh, that off-target movement may cause injury to your adjacent field. So you have to be really careful, just check the weather, whether it is really uh, like uh, indicating that there could be temperature inversion probably I would not recommend doing, uh, spraying any herbicide during that time. But if uh, temperature is good, light is okay, probably morning spray would be better for drought conditions. Tom, anything? You want
3: yeah. To so Devlin and Dave, I want to ask you a question. Whose site are you on? Are you on the site of the weeds or the crop? So Devlin's on the site of the weeds. So... He's optimizing conditions for controlling weeds. He's, he's um, spraying under more humid conditions, under conditions where the weeds are hydrated, and they're going to be easier to control. I'm on the side of the crop. And the problem with going out there in the morning, especially with contact herbicides, is they're going to have to suffer during the heat of the day. So Um, The damage from contact herbicides come two, three, four hours after you apply, and that's going to be into the heat of the day. So, you know, the answer, Dave, is it's a compromise. Um, What's challenging this year is our crop stages. We have crop stages all over the place. I've got sugar beets that are germinating and at the eight leaf stage, all in the same field. So it's a real challenge as to should I go out there early to try to optimize my weed control or should I go out there later, maybe at four o'clock, five o'clock when the sun is, is not as, as strong or when the uh, temperatures might be starting to subside so I can protect my crop a little better. So it's a tough question for for us Dave.
1: So well so, uh, certainly Tom. we won't get all of the answers. All I can say it's going to be really critical this next week with warm temperatures. Uh, corn on the eastern side of the state is really growing fast. So you're uh, I'm going to just leave you with watch that label, the height of that crop is going to be very important as well as the weed height uh, and you're going to have to you know basically uh you know uh, take that needle and, and see if you can get the get through the right timing in terms of that as you go forward. Well, with that, our our clock is ticking on here, Jared. I think we're going to stop at this part of the program. Uh, As we indicated, this is recorded and is available as a podcast. Uh, We will be back next week with some timely subject matter, probably a little bit more in depth in uh, in the weather in terms of that uh, uh, pest control, scouting, and and also talk about some upcoming uh, meetings that are be very important for folks. Uh, We are having a a short three-question survey uh, when you leave the program today, but we really want to thank our speakers and our guests today, Drs. Tom Peters, Devlin Serangi, and Dr. Joachim Wiersma for being here uh, with us at this point in time. And again, if you have questions for these folks who didn't get them in, certainly uh, you can send them an email as well or one of us and make the contact uh, with it. Jared, any other last comments at this point in time? Otherwise, I think, well, we've uh, completed our time.
2: Well, I guess we thank you for uh, joining us today and stay tuned uh, into Minnesota Crop News. We will have a uh, another article that will come out going into a little bit more detail in terms of recommendations in the spring in these hot, dry conditions. So,
1: That's a good point. So if you haven't subscribed to Minnesota Crop News, uh, just uh, search for that, Google for that, and, uh, and sign on. But uh, uh, the next day or so, a uh, very important one we're putting out on weed science and and weed control. And I'm sure we're gonna be having uh, more crop news from uh, Joachim Wersma because he's got an active pen and and, uh, a computer on his end as well uh, in terms of that. So with that, thank you again. We're going to sign off for today and we look forward to uh, meeting with you uh, same time uh, next Wednesday at uh, 7.30 for uh, strategic farming field notes. Thank you.